Hello and welcome to the Curious Coaches Club. This week I've been speaking with Neil Marshall, who is the Head of Youth Coaching at Stirling Albion. I've had the privilege to know Neil for over 10 years. He's a fantastic person and a great thinker on the game. We're going to be discussing his beliefs on coaching, as well as the Scottish Youth Setup. I hope you enjoy. So Neil, I'd like to start with um, well your, your current role, your head of youth coaching at Stirling Albion. And prior to that, you've you've had a lot of involvement in women and girls football. Um, you know, for example, you've been involved at Queen's Park Ladies, Kilmarnock setup as well. But what I'm really interested about is is you, you set up your own club, didn't you? Um, what led you to do that and how did you get it going? Yeah, so when I returned from my kind of stint out in America coaching, um, the um, the guys who were running Westland's football club, who Westland's football club already existed as a kind of alumni of Glasgow University football club, okay. um, so they had a, a loose connection already with the university. Um, and as you know, uh, prior to going out to the states, I'd been involved coaching Glasgow University women's team, Glasgow uh, men's under twenty one squad. Etc. So they already knew me and, and had a connection here. And when, when they heard I was back settled in Scotland from the coaching out in the States, they, they actually approached me and asked me if I would do that on their behalf, if I'd set up a ladies section because they'd never had one. Mm. Um, so they actually approached me and asked me to do it. I, I loved the idea of it. Um, I, I loved the idea of having basically a blank slate to kind of set something up in, in the model, in your own model. Um, so uh, that was the reason I jumped to the opportunity to do it. Um, purely, as I say, because I could just go, right, let's, let's do this from, from the start. So, um, yeah, so that, that was the reason I, I went for it. That was the reason it appealed to me so much. Mm. Um, in terms of going about it, uh, the club were great because they, they very much just allowed me to go on with it. They, they provided whatever support that was required in the way of um, finding our facilities and, and everything else. But I just went about it myself. I find that I got a sponsor for, for kits. I, I recruited players, I recruited coaches. And I very much just set about, set about doing it on my own. Yeah, so it, it's obviously a huge undertaking to, to do that. You, you must have needed a lot of buy-in from people. How, how, did you, how did you sort of foster that with... You started off with obviously a core of players. How did you, how did you foster that with the rest? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it takes it takes so much. I mean, it really does take so much to to get anything like that off the ground, um, and it's quite obvious across certainly across all of Scottish football is when you lose that person um, who is driving it, how easily it is for the wheels to come off a project like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was really important to get buy-in from from people earlier so early in early doors so i got people um coaches in who who liked liked what my approach was to to what we were trying to to set up and what i was looking to do um i also made sure that um the, the people that i brought in to work with me were of a similar mindset um, so I didn't, there, there were certain coaches who wanted to get involved, there were certain people who wanted to get involved or, or kind of contacted me about it um, and some of them, they just weren't coming from necessarily, not, not, not that they were bad people or bad coaches, they just weren't coming from the right direction. So I was quite choosy about the people that I got involved. Um, and what and, were you looking for, Neil, from the, the, you know, the people that you got involved? What, what were those things? 
primarily an understanding of women's football, first yeah. of all. Um, so an understanding of um, working with, with female players, um, experience working with female players, yeah. um, an understanding of working with um, a group of um, adults who had uh, jobs, who had kids, um, you know, an understanding of, of what you could actually demand of, of people. Um, you know, probably something we'll touch upon later on um, in terms of what, my thoughts on football, but um, you, you need to, you very much need to know the group you're working with and what you can actually expect of people if you want to get, um, if you want to get a kind of good result out of them. Um, so that was the kind of people I wanted to bring in. Yeah, because one of your strengths from, from having seen you work, I think, is your ability to build relationships with others. What, what, how, how do you go about that? Because it's something you're very good at. What, what's, your, what's your approach? Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's, it's really kind of you to see that I'm good at it. I mean, I, I do consciously try to, um, try to create good relationships with people. I think that when you're working with groups of people, um, and, and I think this is the same in any industry, in any business that I've been involved in at all. Um, I think if you want to get performance out of people, mm. there's, got to be a, there's got to be a good relationship there, especially when it comes, if, you are, if you're in charge of that group for whatever, you're coaching them or managing them or whatever. Um, I think that having a good relationship, um, it, builds, it builds trust and, and, and a rapport with people. Um, and uh, I think that's, that's where you get performance from people no matter what it is in our case we're talking about football here mm. um but in terms of getting um performance from in terms of honesty in terms of uh, understanding um understanding why a uh, players are making certain decisions you, yeah. you can get a more honest uh, conversation with them if they have a good relationship with you um i think you know if you pe make having a good relationship with people in your group makes them feel like they belong to the group Yes, um, you know, and it's simple. Like I know it's ridiculously simple, but I try my best to say hello to every single player before yeah. training. Like I and, and still to this day, as they all arrive, and it's not always possible. You know, some will slip in, you know, and under the radar, whatever else, or appear late or anything. But trying just to simply say hello and asking how they are um, at the start of training, I think is vital because they need to know that they belong um, and they're part of it. And and one of the things I always try to kind of wee bit of a mantra I suppose of mine in life is that everybody's got their story everybody's got their own story and and, yeah. and that's if, whatever I mean the person that gets really annoyed with you in the supermarket car park and is tooting their horn at you you think to yourself right before I get out here and and start road rage in the car park think right, what's going on in their life this morning we don't know yeah. we don't know if they've had no sleep because the kids been up all night if they're now late for their work whatever so everybody's got their story and I think it's important to try and understand your player's story to some extent. Um, and that way, it, it, you're only going to ever know that if you have built up some kind of communication relationship with them. Um, and I think that's key to understanding where they're coming from on a daily basis, what other things might be going on in their life. And then also, you don't know if something's off if you don't know the person. But when something's wrong or something's off, um, instead of just going, oh, they're, they're lazy tonight, they're not interested tonight, it's like, wait a minute, that's unusual behaviour because you've actually spent a bit of time getting to know them. So the kind of that's that's kind of one of the reasons I think it's very important. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when when I think of you at, at sessions because I've seen you working, you, you're incredibly positive. 
you're always smiling. I think you do create an environment that's very enjoyable that people want to be a, a part of. Um, and it's, it's fascinating what you're saying about understanding the context of that person. I think that requires real, real empathy. Is that, is that something you look for in the coaches that you currently work with at, at Sterling Albion? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't want, um, I don't want a group of coaches who are clones. Um, I don't want them all to be the same as each other. I don't want them to all be the same as me because I think it's great to have people with different skill sets who bring, bring different things to the table. Um, I think that's important. Um, but yeah, there are certain things that you do want them all to have. And, and I would certainly say, um, the empathy that's a great that's a great word yeah that's that's one you definitely look for in coaching and I was going to say especially in, in youth development but actually no all across the board even working with with adults even working with professionals um, I would say that that's a that's a, an important one yeah absolutely so I'm interested as well Neil you, you you're currently doing the um, UEFA license aren't you with the Scottish FA how have you found the, the course and what, what key learnings have you, you taken from it? Because I think most people listening to this at the moment, um, because of the guests that we've had on, will be in England and have probably been on the English courses. Um, but the Scottish FA has a, a you know, fantastic reputation. I know some really high-profile coaches have done their qualifications in Scotland, including Jose Mourinho and, and lots of others, I'm sure. What, what, how have you found the course and what, what, what have been the key things that you've taken from it? Yeah, um, so yeah, so we started it in 2019 and, and we should have completed it last summer, but obviously like, like everything, it's on hold. So hopefully the assessment will be, will be completed soon. But we basically had completed the whole course before COVID kicked in. So that was great. We got the proper experience of the license because okay. um, the guys that are now starting it now are starting it remotely and, and have, will have a slightly different experience yeah. um, from what we got. So we were lucky in that we got the proper UFE license experience with, the, with SFA. When it comes to coach education, and I suppose because I've done a bit of this myself in the past and everything else, um, it's, it's, quite, it's quite easy to, to get critical of courses and, and some mm. courses are better than others and some um, you go in some certificates or some courses and you think, wow, that was, that was amazing. And other times you're a bit disappointed about not really sure what the outcomes and aims were. Yeah. Um, and I've kind of felt that way throughout my coaching journey about some courses have been better than others. But I have to say, uh, I, I really enjoyed the license. I thought the license was cracking. Um, I, got, um, I got a huge amount out of it. Um, day one was a kind of a bit of a, a recap of the UFAB. And at first I was like, oh dear, we're going over the same stuff here. Um, but then after that, no, after that, they took it to another level and, and it was great. And it was the way I wanted to feel about doing a course. I felt out my depth, I felt challenged, I felt pushed. Um, and, and that's great. Um, so no, I actually thought it was, I thought it was a great course. Um, I don't have the comparison, obviously, from other governing bodies to see yeah. what was what was different or whatever. Um, but no, I thought the... Um, I thought the, the delivery of the course was really good. I thought that the tutors and everybody involved was great. Um, I thought it was very interesting. Um, I think the kind of main things that I took out of it um, was probably very much centred around the detail of my coaching session. Um, yeah. So in terms of um, the delivery of my session, it was really about taking the detail to the next, to the next level. Um, and I think that was uh, one thing that I really took out of it was really thinking about um, really thinking about much more now. It's much more than just you know 
where I want the ball to go. You know, it's much more than that now. It's much more about, um, you know, if you're making that pass, what type of pass is it? What, you know, how are you um, playing the ball? You know, you're going to spin it away from the defender, so it spins into the path of your your teammates running on, and you're going to put it on the right foot, on their left foot. You know, it was just starting to go into much more detail, thinking about everybody around that as well, not just the kind of, you know, looking at the 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 uh, that part of the pitch that you were thinking about, thinking about how it affects your team all around. So really going into a lot more detail uh, in my session. I took that from it. Um, another thing was a lot of real player-specific considerations, which I liked. So positional um, considerations and um, thinking about, you know, if, for example, if you're working on, I don't know, attacking in wide areas, you know, yeah. who are the key players in that? Um, yeah. And what are the key things that they need to be taken out of this? Um, and also, therefore, what could they be working on in their own fitness, their own strength and conditioning, their own um, their own world of programming that will be specific to their position and how they um, how they're involved in in the action and how you want the team to play. So I suppose it was these kind of really just getting into much more detail about. Um, putting a session together and, and what I actually want to get out of it. I think that was the kind of key things I took from it. Mm. It's, 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 yeah, it's interesting. It does sound, you know, similar in that aspect to, obviously it's a UA for A licence, so there's, there's comparable aspects with the English courses. Were there, um, were there any other sort of standout things that you did off the pitch on the course in terms of any speakers that you had in or, or anything like that? Because you do, don't you do some psychology stuff as well? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, we had in um, with lots, lots of cracking um, guest speakers, um, many of whom I've come across before, and maybe CPD with a with SFA, um, yeah. or maybe even maybe even in a B license they came in. Um, but there was some there was some great ones. Don McNaughton, um, who I don't know if you've come across, uh-huh. he comes in yeah. and does what. Yeah, so Don's yeah. great. He's very entertaining as well. Um, so he does a lot of stuff with with SFA, and he did some great. Um, sports psychology um, talks and lectures with us. Um, Ian Donnelly from uh, the kind of performance analysis side of things came yeah. in, and um, and again I'd met him through a CPD course that I did in performance analysis. But he came in and worked with us, um, uh, looking at that aspect of the game. Um, they were both they were both real standouts um, in terms of. Uh, uh, what I took away from from their from their lectures and their their involvement. Yeah, and I think that's one of the really interesting things about a course like this is is you know the the breadth of knowledge that you take away. It's not just about obviously what happens on the pitch. Um, it's interesting to hear what you were saying about the you know the detail of the session, and I think that's something that I I reflect on as well about you know when you are delivering sessions about really thinking about who the key players are you need to affect in relation to the you know the topic that you're delivering um but then there's all the other stuff that in, underpins the session in terms of the you know the 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 mentality that the players need um the technical detail the tactical appreciation um their ability to be able to you know interact with each other as well socially um, and, and i think the skilled coach can kind of bring all these elements together can't they um, yeah, that sounds that sounds really good. So, what's the next steps for you with that with that course? 
Just the assessment. I, I just have to do the assessment now. Unfortunately, as I said, the, our assessment was meant to be last June and was 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 cancelled because of the whole COVID situation. Um, so I just need to get the assessment sat and all, all going well. Hopefully, just the once. Um, all going well. That'll be that'll be the the license complete. And is it is it like um a bit like a sort of driving test assessment where you have to do a session and then it's it's a pass or fail sort of thing? Because because in England the reason I mention this in England it's it's moved to a different model where it's like a cumulative assessment. So you get you get sort of, sort of like five visits, and if they deem you to be competent at that stage, they'll sign you off, or them or they'll just continue to support you until you know until you are. Um, and it was previously a model where it was sort of like a pass or fail, and um, you know, and then you have to, um, you know, rebook your your test if you like. What, what's it like in Scotland? Uh, yeah, it's still it's still quite similar to that 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 kind of pass fail model that you're describing. Okay. Yeah. Um, they do take into consideration. Um, additional things like your attendance throughout your, your you know, we did, we had, I think, 16 assignments that we did over yeah. the year um, that you had to obviously submit in time. You had to hit the, the criteria that. So all of that's taken into consideration um, yeah. in terms of your overall performance on, on the course. Uh, but ultimately, um, at the end, it is the, the delivery of two stations yeah. that, uh, that you're judging. I do quite like that model, if I'm honest, because I, I feel that, you know, the the model in England now probably is more beneficial to, you know, the learners, as they're called on the, the courses. Um, but it, it, in some ways, I do think it devalues the, the course because pretty much now, if you get on the A licence, you pass the course. Um, right. You know, it's, it's almost like a, it's, it's, it's inevitable it will happen. It's just a question of, of when. Um, and I, I do wonder if that has led to a bit of a sort of, you know, a devaluing of the standard of it. But yeah, it's interesting. Interesting that Scotland are, are sticking with the the other model. I quite like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pros and cons to both festivals, isn't there? Yeah, there is. There is. So, just moving on then, in terms of um, the youth development structure in Scotland. Now, you're involved in um, in boys, you know, schoolboy football now. Um, how how are things structured in terms of? I suppose what I'm getting at here is really your training and, and games programme in Scotland. You know, how does it, what age groups do you have? How often do you train? Um, who do you play fixtures against? Um, how does it work across the teams in the different, you know, leagues of, of the men's football, etc.? Yep. So, uh, yes. So, I mean, I suppose disclaimer right out there at the start, John, and that a Obviously, I, I took over as head of co youth coaching at Stirling Albion at the beginning of 2020, so January 1st, 2020. Yeah. And that was me getting back into boys' youth development for the first time. I'd been involved in girls' youth development for a couple of years before that. And then prior to that, as you know, I've been working in the senior game, really. Uh, ladies, senior ladies game, I've been out in the States, etc. So I've over this last year, I've been kind of relearning. Um, a lot of it and where we're at. So I certainly wouldn't claim to be an expert. There's been lots of changes over the last decade in, in Scottish men's football with the introduction of Project Brave and, and all these sorts of things. And what is um, Project Brave, um, Neil? Yeah, so Pro Project Brave um, was basically a, a way of bringing in, um, uh, I hope I get this right here, but basically bringing in criteria and measurable performance outcomes for, for the youth set up. And, and create, create, and it was all aimed towards, you know, let's develop the best Scottish players to get back to qualifying for competitions. That was the whole, the whole 
purpose behind it. Um, so that was kind of where that came about. So where we are now with my involvement um, is, is we're part of what's called the Club Academy Scotland set up. So this is for the, for the, um, the, the kind of the, the pro youth as it is these, as now these days. Yep. Um, so we, at Stirling, we have an under 18s and an under 16 squad. Yeah. Um, and most of the teams in our tier are, are the same. So we're in what's called the advanced youth tier. Above us, there is a, a performance or progressive tier. And then above that, there's an elite tier. Yeah. Um, and I believe to, the tiering is based on criteria to do with uh, facilities that you can deliver at your academy um, and infrastructure of your club. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so in, in our tier, in the advanced youth tier, um, most of the squads I think only run the two, the two teams that kind of sixteens and eighteens. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, it's a kind of it's a it's a, a bit of an odd situation in that the under sixteens play a summer season. Um, so under normal circumstances, we play kind of April to November. Yeah. Um, whereas the under 18s would play with a traditional football season um, oh, okay. in August to May. So you then have this bizarre overlapping period of time where it's like, well, the 16s are finished the season, but they can't go into an under 18s because they're still going. And there's mm. been a, uh, you know, there's this kind of strange period in between. So at that point, they take part in, a, uh, in the Club Academy Scotland Cup um, during which they get a chance to. Uh, compete against the teams from the other tiers and they're all going together and, and, okay. and you get a chance to pip yourself against the, the elite teams as well. Um, so yeah. how, do you, how I'm quite interested by this, the, the, the summer season. Because um, obviously, you know, Scotland and certainly, you know, most of England really, we're not blessed by the best, best weather. Uh, <laughs> we lose a lot of games during the winter, you know, even in academy football due to waterlogged pitches, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, how have you have you found a real benefit in that summer season? Do you think? Do you think that's a really good idea? Because I know it's the same in in the women and girls setup, isn't it? That you've been involved in. Yeah, so, well, I mean, I didn't get a chance to experience it this year with with, <laughs> with COVID. So yeah. who knows? But I mean, going on on like the women's game and stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, the yeah, I mean, I'm completely. I'm completely behind summer football. I mean, I really am. At any level in this country, um, I'm completely behind it. Um, I think that any any prehistoric reasons not to play summer football are becoming more harder and harder to to justify. Um, you know, it was great to get to go to the football and Boxing Day and New Year's Day. You know, I mean, we're beginning to run out of excuses there. Um, the World Cup. I mean, if Qatar moved the World Cup to, to January, February, or whenever, is it November? I can't remember. But I mean, all of a sudden you're losing that argument of, of, of well, we need to fit it around major tournaments. And heck, you know, we're only going to the first one in 20 years anyway soon. So <laughs> I, I kind of, I feel like you know, we're running out of reasons for not playing summer football personally. Yeah. I think the summer football is great. Um, I think that going back to the ladies game, when they moved to summer, it was the best decision they made because... Uh, freed up so many facilities that were not being used by men's teams, um, uh, etc. Uh, I mean, very, very few games ever were called off in my entire time involved in women's football because of weather. Um, yeah. It was incredible. Um, so I think, it, I think it was great. Interestingly enough, though, John, on the back of COVID and on the back of um, 
uh, all the issues this year with seasons being scrapped or stopped and everything else. There is an element of the ladies' game looks like it may return to the traditional football season. Um, to catch and real- up and they've missed. Aye, and, and, but potentially, I, I, I don't know exactly the ins and outs because I'm not in it anymore, but I think they might potentially do it as that's that's how they're going to go forward. And I actually think they're making a mistake there. Um, I think that's a mistake. I think they should stick with with what they had in terms of a summer season. Um, and I certainly think, I think the men's game should move towards it. Um, I, I'm completely behind it. I don't really see, I don't really see a, a good argument against against summer football now. Mm-hmm. Um, however, having said that, I think it's mental having an under-18s and an under-16s playing two different uh, calendars, but uh, uh, I, I'm not entirely sure where that's come from. It's before my time, so. No. So the, the other thing I wanted to ask was around your squads. Are they, are they done off the calendar year, January to December, or is it off um, September to, to August? No, it's no calendar year. Yeah, it's so, it's, so, it's so with, with Europe, isn't it, in terms of how they do things? Is it? Is that what I? So yeah. I am. Um, I'm calling them under 16s, but they're my 2005 squad. Is what they actually are. Um, yeah. And my, my under 18s are an 0304 squad this year. Um, Do you yeah, so because one of the things that we try to be very mindful of um, in a, in our system is is having a bias towards players born in what we call quarter one. So that would be a player born in September, October, or November, being more physically developed, bigger, faster, stronger. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of um, analysis that, that highlights 50%, I think it is, of players involved in academy football in England are born in either September, October or November. Do, do you have the same thing in Scotland, but January, February, March instead? To be honest, I, I don't know. I've not actually, I've not actually looked into the data of that yet, or had had the opportunity to kind of see it over time with with a uh, Sterling Albion. I mean, I've read tons about this, um, so I, I know exactly what you're talking about, and and that September birthday and everything else. Um, so I don't know, I don't know why there would be a difference. You know, I, I imagine that. I imagine, yes, all you're doing is moving the goalposts to January, February, March that you've described. So I would predict that the data would probably back that up, but in in all honesty, I don't know. Yeah, that'll be something interesting to look out for. I I know that there's been studies into, I remember seeing a study into Real Madrid's under-19s, I think it was, and I think think it was something like that they had a squad of 18 players and 16 of them were born January or February. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah, it's definitely something to have a look at. Okay, so um, just moving on then to your, your current role. What, sort of COVID aside, what are, because that's probably obvious, what, what are the biggest challenges that, that you face? So you're head of youth coaching. What, what is that role? What's the purpose of it? And what are the challenges that you face? Yeah, so basically, basically I'm the academy director at Stirling Albion, um, so I'm the head of the academy at the club, um, but the way that Stirling Albion have done it is they've split the role into two, um, so there's myself and, and David Brown who run the academy together, um, and David is the head of youth admin and I'm the head of youth coaching, so it's brilliant because David takes care of all the administration, the registrations, the facilities, all that, and I can focus purely on the football. Um, mm-hmm. So it's great. I mean, it's like an absolute dream situation and that you get to, you know, you get to, the two of us run the academy together and I get to focus on the football side of things, you know. So, I mean, it's a cracking role in that respect. Um, in terms of uh, challenges and things faced, you know, the, you know there's, there's the obvious 
challenges that we're always going to face at a, a kind of part-time professional team in Scotland, and, and that is, you, you know, you're always going to be counting pennies. You're always going to be tight on, on finances and, and everything else. And um, we've been very, very lucky this year that, that Stella and Albion have backed our youth and invested in us, which is great. Um, I think that's fantastic. But, you know, that's always going to be something um, we're never going to have huge amounts of surplus cash to, to do things with. Um, so you've got that obvious thing. You've got the obvious thing of, um, well, you know, this is a challenge, but I also, with every challenge comes an opportunity. But, you know, one challenge is we're always going to, in, in a country as small as Scotland, you're always going to be fighting against bigger names and mm. bigger badges. The proximity of Glasgow, of Edinburgh, yeah. of Dundee, all these things pre always present that challenge. Um, that you're always going to be fighting against uh, these co uh, for competition. However, as I said, the other opportunity and the way I look at it is that, well, if you draw a radius of one hour's drive around Stirling, you hit a huge amount of Scotland. Um, you know, and, and really Stirling is incredibly accessible um, unless you live in the very, very outer rims or islands or whatever in Scotland. It's a very accessible part of the country. So that, that, that challenge becomes an opportunity to me for us to, to be able to recruit um, and, and attract people in. Um, in terms of a more kind of club-specific challenge, um, uh, we've got, we, as I said, we've only got the under-16s or 2005s and under-18 squads. Um, so you don't have a natural flow of players coming through. No. Um, so every year you're needing to re-recruit a brand new squad. Um, so we're working on pathways there. We're working on how we can, we can alter that because, as I said, you can't every year, you can't find a new squad every single year. That's not a sustainable uh, model um, and then the other side of that under 18s to first team is a massive jump um, so we need to bridge that gap as well and and again that's something that we're working on right now so we will we will likely be establishing an under 20 squad to start in August which is brilliant um, and allows our players to continue to develop for a few more years under our uh, Sterling Albion banner so that's a, a very a club specific kind of um, issue but as I say we're addressing both ends of that in the moment I suppose the thing is, you, you, you're looking for, you're looking at examples like Andy Robertson as well, aren't you? Who was at Celtic, wasn't he? Um, and then got released and ended up at Queen's Park, you know, um, down the divisions into a part-time setup, but then re-emerged as a later developer and has gone on to be, well, become one of, one of the best left-backs in the world, arguably. You just need to find him, Neil, the next one. <laughs> <laughs> find the next Andy Robertson. Do you know, it's, I know he's a great example of that. And of course, it happens all the time. And we do that right now. You know, we've picked up guys from further up the, the, the so-called ladder of, of teams. One thing that I suppose, though, to remember is Queen's Park are one of the, are one of the top youth setups. So yeah. when people yeah. talk about, you know, uh, Andy Robertson dropping down to Queen's Park, maybe if you're looking at first teams, that may be a drop. But when you're looking at youth setups, you know, Queen's Park, you know, Queen's Park have a cracking youth set up there. So he's always yeah. uh, 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 a different the club. The thing about Queen's Park, even though they have that, that amateur status, they, they're in a fantastic location, aren't they, to recruit players because they're in, in Glasgow. Um, and also they've got a, a real pathway into the first team. And opportunities of playing men's football early. So if you are, you know, if you're a talented player and, and you're receiving good coaching in a good setup, um, you know, and then you can go and play men's football at 17, 18, it, it really gives you that kickstart, doesn't it? 
Yeah, and, and that's always been the thing with, with Queen's Park is it's had a fantastic pathway and a, a fantastic way to the first team. Although I don't know if you're if you're aware of this now, John, since you've not been up here for a wee while, but Queen's Park last year have gone full-time professional. Oh, have they? Yeah, so it's a huge change there on, on you know, ever 100-plus years of tradition. So last year with the sale, I think it all came with the sale of Hamden and everything else, but they are now... Uh, they have now moved to uh, to a full-time professional setup. So, and where do they play their games now? Are they still at Hamden or? Uh, they'll be at Lesser. Right. Lesser, Lesser Hamden will be there. Lesser Hamden will be their home. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fantastic. No, I didn't know that. That's that's interesting. Um, okay, just to finish then, uh, Neil. What what I'm interested in, just to sort of almost go back to where we started, really, is around some of your beliefs about coaching players what 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 are your beliefs about coaching players and um you know what what you work with a lot of coaches and you you have worked with a lot of coaches what what traits do you see in the coaches that are most effective yeah it's, i think it's cracking it's a, a really good question i mean i could bloom and bore you for hours going through beliefs here but I'll, i've kind of thought of three kind of key ones i think um okay. for me um and again it kind of does touch back upon what we, we spoke on earlier i think the first one um, is I think a good coach has got to know their audience and tailor their coaching to that audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it's not about it's, it's not about us. Just like on a Saturday, it's not about the referee, all right? It's not about us. It's not about the referee. It's about the game of football. It's about the players. And I think coaches have to know that in their training session. You know, we, it's not about us showing off our knowledge or anything else. It's about delivering appropriate to the group that you have. So that could be because they're under five. It could be because they're adults. It could be because they are grassroots recreational. It could be because they're elite. It could be male, female. You know, there's football for everybody. I'm a firm, firm believer in that. You know, whether you've got, you know, two legs, one leg or no leg, there's football available to everyone. Um, so it's about tailoring your coaching to that audience. Yeah. So with, with my style and Albin set up, I want coaches who understand our audience, you know, and in our situation as elite players, as uh, the best youth players that we can, that we can get. So I think that's key. That's one uh, I, I, I'm firmly believing. Um, as I said, you know, I think there's, there is football for everyone. But again, coming back to, to our setup, it's still an Albion. Um, I think that, um, I think it's, it's absolutely essential, right, that a player who wants to become a professional football player, so that's what these guys are here for. They want to be professional football players. They want to do this um, very seriously. To do anything like this seriously, and the same in any sport, you have to have an incredible a drive and real real competitive edge and every time our players step over the white line they should be desperate to win because it's that desire and drive that's going to push them forward and and I, and I think that I think the players again talking about elite football not all across the board you're talking about our elite setup they should want to win and they should have that drive and, and competitive because that's what's going to help them push their way through and, yeah. and as we know, it's not always the talented most talented ones it's sometimes it's just the one who's having the drive and the determination that will keep going in the game. However, and I, and I genuinely believe this, in youth development, where we are, whilst you want the players to think that way and you want them to, to believe that, the coaches can't. The coaches absolutely cannot. Now, they don't need to let the players know that by any stretch of imagination, but um, I genuinely believe 
that to develop good young players, the coaches have to be willing to sacrifice results all the time. Um, and I don't see, I'm not meaning you set up a team to lose or anything like that, but you have, and I, you have to be willing to accept what our aim is. Now, success of a youth academy is what your players going to do. Success yeah. of a youth academy is not wins or trophies or anything else if those players don't go on to do anything. Um, and I, I really do genuinely look for that in my, in my coaches. I look for coaches who understand that. And I'm very, very lucky at Sterling that the coaches are already there completely get that they they know that if there's a chance to get rid of their most talented players the team above they want to do it they don't want to hog the good players so that their team does well they want to push the guys on um and i really think that's key and i think across football um you get loads of guys working in the youth in the youth game who will say that but they don't mean it you know, oh, it's all about the kids having fun, whatever else. But they don't mean it for a minute. You know, they're full of it. Whereas I genuinely, 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 hi, I'm more than happy to sacrifice my ego and everything else for the development of the players. And, and, and I really do mean that. And and it's just just simple things like, you know, if, if you've decided that for this block of the season, we're going to work on certain things. And that's what we want to see in the game. That's what we need to practice in the game because yeah. we're working on this. Whether it's structures or formations or styles of play. And actually... Do you know what? We could totally alter it this Saturday and go and beat this team, but that completely falls out of what we're trying to educate the players in. Um, or if we decided uh, with 20 minutes to go, we're going to give this guy 20 minutes because we want him to experience his position. And it's the coach who, oh, it's 1-0. Oh, I'll just wait till 19, 18, 17 minutes. That's the coach that's straight away. You're, you're in the wrong business for youth development because it doesn't matter. You sacrifice the win, the draw, the whatever because you've decided that this is more important for the development of these players that we make this change with 20 minutes of war, whatever it is. And I think that's, I really do mean that. And I, I practice what I preach there. Um, the, the, you have to be willing to sacrifice the results as the coach um, to sometimes develop the players better. Uh, and I look for that again in, in, the, in the coaches that um, I would bring into still in Albion. Um, and then I suppose the final one, uh, which is it's a funny one. This is one I fight with all the time with myself. Um, and it becomes a wee bit of a, I suppose, a bit of a, a contradiction. But I, I do think that for somebody who makes his living out of coaching and everything else, I think we overcoach. We overcoach um, big time with kids. Um, and I think that's something that we need to uh, redress the balance of, of when we should be coaching and what we should be coaching and when players and kids just need to have adult free time and be creative and go and play the game and enjoy the game and everything else. And I think there's a real tricky balance there that I think people are beginning to accept in the world of sport more now, but I think that we've not quite, as a society, figured out how to uh, rebalance adult involvement um, in, kids, in kids' sports. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't continue to facilitate it and make it safe and make it organised, but at some point along the line, our kids need to stop being told how to kick a ball and what part of the foot to use and what part of the ball to kick. And they just need to go out and use every part of their foot, every part of the ball and experiment and see what they can make the ball do. Um, so I know that maybe contradicts me myself a wee bit in my profession a little bit. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a job here now. <laughs> Listen, that's really, really excellent points at the end. Um, really, really good points. And I, I couldn't agree more. So... Listen, thanks a lot for your time. Um, I know you've just started training again, so I hope that continues and the, the lads can have a you know, good summer and get back to you know, playing football and, and loving being with their friends. Um, and let's catch up again soon.
Brilliant. Thank you so much, John. Cheers, Neil. Bye. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening. I'm sure, like me, Neil's enthusiasm and ideas put a smile on your face. I'll be back next Monday with another guest. Have a great week.